This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portier. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today we are discussing the career of the always reliable, never not bad, Scottish actress, Kelly MacDonald. Andrew, run down her history. Kelly MacDonald was born in Glasgow in 1976. She began her career after seeing an open casting call for Danny Boyle's Train Spotting. Other early major roles included The Maid Mary in Robert Altman's Gosford Park and Deirdre in the Irish crime film Intermission. On TV, her biggest roles were alongside Bill Nye in State of Play and The Girl in the Cafe, the latter of which scored her a Golden Globe nomination and an Emmy win. She was nominated for a BAFTA for a role as Carla Jean Moss in No Country for Old Men. She had supporting roles in the late 2010s including Choke and In the Electric Mist. She played the lead in Michael Keaton's awful directorial debut, The Married Gentleman. Ah, unfair. I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> it's dreadful. Um, after voicing Princess Merida in Disney's Brave, she starred alongside Steve Buscemi in HBO's Boardwalk Empire from 2010 to 2014. 2016 saw her win critical acclaim for her performance in the Black Mirror episode, Hated in the Nation, and reprised the character of Diane in T2 Train Spotting. She has continued to act in supporting parts on TV and in film, but 2021 saw her return to lead work in season six of Line of Duty. Just going on your principle, because this was your recommendation to do Kelly MacDonald, what movie of hers did you re- want to rewatch? Was it No Country for Old Men? Um, I actually didn't rewatch No Country for Old Men because it's, it's glued to my brain. That movie is glued to my brain. It's one of the only movies that was able to pull me away from video games as a teenager, so I always put it on a high pedestal. But yeah, it was No Country for Old Men that made me want to cover Kelly MacDonald. Cool. But when we get into her other massive, uh, iconic role, Train Spotting. Yeah. Excuse me, excuse me, I don't mean to rush you, I was very impressed with the capable and stylish manner which you dealt with that situation. And I was thinking to myself, now this girl's special. Thanks. What's your name? Diane. Where are you going, Diane? I'm going home. What was that? It's where they live. Great. What? Well, I'll come back with you if you like, but, like, I'm no promising anything, you know? Do you find that this approach usually works? Or let me guess, you've never tried it before? In fact, you don't normally approach girls, am I right? The truth is that you're a quiet, sensitive type, but if I'm prepared to take a chance, I might just get to know the inner you. Witty, adventurous, passionate, loving, loyal. Taxi! A little bit crazy, a little bit bad. But hey, don't us girls just love that. Hey. Well, what's wrong, boy? Can't got your tongue. Well, I something... Choose life, choose job, choose doing a podcast about character actors that no one will listen to. Um, <laughs> you know, based on the Irvine Welsh novel of the same name, you know, Danny Boyle's breakthrough film centres on Renton, played by Hugh McGregor, a, a young heroin addict in Edinburgh who tries to get clean despite the allure of drugs and the influence of his friends. So, yeah, I don't actually know. What, what are your thoughts on Tradespotting? Do you like it? I really like it, yeah. I think um, I remember watching it, I think, probably one of my one of my early years of college um, and I just remember how quickly it moved and just how entertaining it was and just how much for a movie about heroin and addiction and all the horrible things that come with it how much fun it was just to watch I think um, Kelly MacDonald is a big part of that in uh, her character Diane who's a teenage school girl, school girl who has a one night stand with Renton and then she blackmails him with that, with the fact that he slept with an underage girl in order to continue their relationship, which is uh, not so, not something I'd seen before. Usually, these things end up like with um, 
you know, the man in the position of power, whereas in this case, it was like a 16 or 17 year old girl. And I think um, it's a it's it's just very funny how that all happens, even though it shouldn't be. And it, the, the potential consequences for it for Renton's mistake, I guess, are horrible. Yeah, it, it shouldn't work. I was I was rewatching the movie and, you know, I get why it's in the movie because it's you're following sort of like Renton's sort of continuing kind of moral descent, you know, due to his like addiction mm. and carefree lifestyle. So like he gets his friend Tommy who seemed like this really nice guy addicted to heroin. Uh, he's one of the people present um, stoned when the baby died. He dodges prison by signing up to this rehab program that immediately relapsed while his friend ends up going to jail. The, but the McDonald thing, you think it would, would age badly because there's already so much else going on. And the movie's very short, as you said. Like, it's only 90 yeah. minutes, which I'd forgotten. Like, it really just moves. But I, I think it works mostly due to, like, McDonald's presence because uh, I think the way she carries herself in that shadow scene, you know, when, um, you know, Renton is, like, pulling all these lines. He sees her in the club obviously and then yeah. you know beautiful introduction or amazing introduction set to atomic by blondie but he sees her and he starts giving her all these channel plans and she immediately like turns the tables on him and starts like in this kind of like cruel kind of icy speech describing all the things men like rent and say to her to try and pick her up and you're like oh my god <laughs> she's really put him <laughs> in this place and like Renton seems really like devastated and he did at the stage he doesn't realize that she's a schoolgirl. Uh, but then she invites him into her taxi and you're like, oh, this is kind of like a weird power play. And then it's the same thing the next day when he tries to abandon her after realizing his mistake. And, you know, she's like, you know, if you leave, I'm going to tell the police. But yeah, she's sort yeah. of half joking and half serious. And um, I think it works just because she just never feels like a victim. She kind of projects this like certain power and authority beyond her years. And I also think she's a lot smarter then yeah. Renton and his crew and um, I also think like all the other little scenes with her sprinkled throughout the movie where you know there's that scene where she goes to visit Renton as he's going cold turkey and she sings to him although it might be a hallucination in Renton's head or when she talks about wanting to leave Edinburgh and all the exciting things happening in London like I think she sort of comes to represent a sort of hope for Renton yeah yeah that seeing her with her life ahead of her her whole life he realizes that he has that too like he's not he's yeah. like 26 he's not that too much older than her and I think he understands how clever she is for her age because the minute she says that about London, he's like, wow, I think I might go to London. <laughs> you know, like, that always <laughs> happens immediately. And um, I just think it's funny that McDonald appears briefly in um, T2 Train Spotting, uh, which is also a great movie. And she's become a lawyer who Renton goes to, to get Sick Boy out of a spot of bother. And she also gets to boss him around a bit more, which is great. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, just on train spot, like it's such a generational movie, and I was, and like I've been to so many houses that have train spotting posters, and I was sort of trying to like clock why it is so influential now, and I, I think it's the way it kind of, as you're saying, like it juxtaposes the awful realities of heroin addiction, like that toilet scene, the scene with the baby, the overdose scene, what happens to Tommy, just the general sort of like indignity that you suffer if yeah. you have these this problem, like this addiction, and. With, with, it, it juxtaposes that with how euphoric doing heroin must feel like and how much fun yeah. it must be to to feel that incredible high surrounded by all your friends and I think a lot of movies about drug addiction focus on the negatives apart from obviously I have a note here apart from the Almodovar movie Pain and Glory which will just make you <laughs> want to do heroin but yeah. <laughs> uh, most movies just focus uh, simply on the negatives which is, which is fair and responsible but I also think they can fail to highlight why people become addicted and because of that you know as a film viewer who you know has no experience with the topic you can sometimes struggle to empathize and relate yeah. to the character's battles whereas yeah. in train spotting like i just think through the soundtrack of bangers and boils energetic direction and some of the more comedic scenes like it just just has that like feeling of youth and you know 
having fun with your friends while at the same time like i think renton's narration does such a good job of putting it into his headspace when high and you totally understand how good heroin feels so that when he's trying to kick it you get it you like it's you totally understand why it's so hard and um i actually think trainspotting does such a good job of showing why drugs are alluring that by the time heaven knows what the safety brothers movie comes out like 20 years later we've just gone back to focusing on the awful realities of heroin addiction because trainspotting yeah. is so iconic and so ingrained in the culture and provides so much context that you don't need to show the positives you know transplant yeah. did it like no one will do it better you know yeah i think it's uh, also a film that shows like like eventually renton does come through the the other side of like addiction and he only does that through like the support of diane who's like oh you have your whole life ahead of you you know you can go to london you can get a job you can get away from your codependent self-destructive friend group and his parents as well who force him to go who lock him in his childhood bedroom and force him to go cold turkey for guess, something like three or four days that he's like vomiting and shitting all over the place and then eventually um he uh, comes clean he gets clean um and i think it shows how like even though it's an incredible struggle it's always it, getting clean from an addiction uh, whether it's heroin or or whatever is always worth it but in order to get clean a lot of people will need like a loving and trustworthy support network to keep up to keep off drugs and it's something Renton initially either didn't have or didn't realize he had but once he found it it saved his life and I think Diane is a big part of that yeah and I think it's kind of like a one of the movie's few glowing bright spots in like apart from the comedy in like this very much dirty dingy gnarly kind of kind of movie and it's sort of funny as well in this kind of darkly funny the attitude transplanting has to life in that like this horrible mistake that rent had made is sort of what saves him yeah it's kind yeah. of ironic yeah yeah <laughs> do we move on to gosford park sure is that why you took the job with lord stockbridge to get to sir william to poison him i didn't poison him I didn't poison him. But then you didn't kill him. Did you stab him? Even if you did, he was already dead. And whoever did it must have known that. No one could stab a corpse and not know it. Really? When was the last time you stabbed a corpse? Do you want to run down the pie? I know you're not a big fan of it, but I, I rewatched it. I quite like this movie. Kelly MacDonald plays Mary, the maid Constance, Countess of Trentham, who's played by Maggie Smith. And Mary begins to fall for Robert Park, who's a valet to uh, one of the other gentlemen visiting uh, the Gosford Park estate for a weekend shooting party that's hosted by William McCordle, who's played by Cabra's finest, Michael Gambon. Um, <laughs> soon enough, Sir McCordle is murdered, and it turns into a murder investigation, uh, with, the chief, with uh, many of the chief suspects being among the upstairs-downstairs crew. Yeah, do you, do you want to run down uh, what, what, you, what you don't dig about it? I'm kind of curious. Well, first of all, it's an overstuffed it's an overstuffed film full of English people, so <laughs> therefore it loses two stars instantly. Red flags. And it's, yeah, two red flags there, and it's really hard really hard to get them back after that. Um, and I think it promises an, a murder mystery in like the upstairs downstairs mode, but never really delivers on that or gives you the good stuff. I think it it spends too much of its time on what it's what it dis, what it describes it or what it's described as a satirical black comedy mystery film when it's really only one of those things and barely a mystery at all i hate when i'm promised something and then it just doesn't deliver mm. so i just didn't get that kind of 
Maybe I just wanted something else from it. Maybe I wanted the kind of Agatha Christie Knives Out style thing, and I just didn't get that. I got this film about I got essentially Downton Abbey, but it's Cluedo, and <laughs> I already hate Downton Abbey, and I don't like Cluedo that much either. So the board game, I haven't seen the film Clue, just for just for yeah. just for reference. So I just ended up being very bored and disappointed throughout the whole two hours, and I, it never gave me what I wanted, which is, isn't the movie's fault. Maybe it's. It's not my fault either, but um, uh, it just didn't meet my expectations. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And like to be honest, I had forgotten how long it takes for the murder mystery to come into the pot. It's over more than half the film. Like the rest of it, sort of just kind of context. But um, actually, I'm a big Robert Altman fan. Like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Long Goodbye, and Images are some of my favorite movies. And while Gosford Park has a very different vibe to those movies because it's set in Britain with an all you know, nearly all British cast, and it's written by the person who made, who would go on to make Downton Abbey. And I actually mm. think Downton Abbey was conceived originally as a sort of spin-off to Gosford Park because the movie was a big success. I think even though that English setting is different, it still has Altman's kind of trademark and kind of overlapping dialogue, a lot of big characters trapped in one place together, kind of a busy, you know, bustling sense of life, which all things I, I really like and think are very cinematic. And uh, I'm also just kind of a big fan of the trope of the murder mystery as a way to explore problems within a society, kind of like Twin Peaks or True Detective or Mayor of Easttown recently, which is mm-hmm. amazing. And I think Gosford Park has this lovely meta element in that Bob Balaban's character, who is this Hollywood director, who the actor Ivor Novello, who I actually think is an amazing performance by Jeremy Northam as Ivor Novello. But um, Ivor Novello invites this Hollywood director to the house because he, he wants to research a, a movie that he's planning about a murder in a British country house. So when the murder happens in Gosford Park, he's immediately on the phone being like, I'm getting all this great material, take this down, <laughs> which is really funny. And um, I just also think like if you put like Michael Gambon, Helen Mirren, Emily Watson, you know, Christian Scott Thomas, Charles Dance, Tom Hollander, Clive Owen, Richard E. Grant, Ryan Felipe, yeah. <laughs> um, the guy who plays Higgins and Ted Lasso. You just put them all in a house together for a weekend and you give them loads of like petty squabbles and murder. Like I think Sparks will fly. It's it's inevitable. And while it does, I think, start off pretty dry and has this sort of like stiff upper lip kind of British attitude. Um, mm. I think Helen Mirren quietly sobbing during the finale after making this great sacrifice is really affecting. But just on, what do you think of McDonald in the movie? I think she's good. I actually quite like um, the romance, the all, kind of almost romance between her and Robert Park. It's the best part of the own. movie. It's really gothic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And I think she just has one of the most expressive faces in, I suppose, Western cinema. And I think that's why I have such a fondness for her career, no matter what shite she's cast in, because she's been in some dreck. Like, I still have soft spots for Nanny McPhee and Lassie. I still remember them really well from my childhood and uh, I have quite a fondness for both of those movies despite the fact that they're also full of English people so <laughs> yeah I, I think what's incredible about her in Gossip Park is how much she conveys without words because she's kind of the mm. main character like the movie starts and ends with her she has the final line it's a murder mystery and she works out who did it like she's always yeah. present but she's playing this character who doesn't have a lot of agency like not only is she a maid and is seen as below all the gentry gathered in this house but she's also a new maid so she's not even that close with a lot of the other servants so we never really get to know much about her background but I, I think you quickly understand from the questions she asks the other maids and the way she attends to Maggie Smith's Lady Trentham that she's kind of maybe a bit naive that like at one point uh, Emily Watson's maid is like he married beneath him why would he do that and she's like I think it's romantic to marry for love and Watson's like love that's not love but and but I but I also think like she's 
smart in that she's able to immediately scope out that uh, Ryan Felipe is not Scottish, although not yeah. not hard. <laughs> so not hard. He's at actually all, no. uh, an actor who's is going to play <laughs> a butler or a servant in this movie that yeah. Bob Alban's planning. Um, but she also works out who did the killing without really even trying, and um, I think throughout the movie you watch her naivety get beaten out of her. But it's all like unspoken because like so much of it is just her watching this microcosm of the class system in Britain, like observing all these dysfunctional people, mostly upstairs, but also some downstairs and just mm. how cutthroat and also chest stabby um, this world <laughs> is, you know, and, you know, there's a great moment early on where we see her realize just how little her happiness counts for. Like Maggie Smith makes a big song and dance about needing a particular top for an event. Uh, but it needs to be washed and Mary spends a good bit of the night like up late washing it by hand and then the next morning she hands it to Trentham and she's like I don't need it and it's so subtle but like you see McDonald kind of wince like all that work for nothing before kind of like quietly composing herself and like continuing on with her task and yeah and I I also think as as you get more into this murder mystery plotline I think in just a few short scenes, she manages to really definitely convey to the audience these kind of warring thoughts she has where she comes to suspect Clive Owen is involved in this crime, but she's also strangely drawn to him and attracted to him. Which, Who isn't? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I think, it, yeah, the movie becomes a bit more kind of primal and gothic because, like, um, I think they have this kind of, like, wonderful chemistry. You know, that bit where Clive Owen, like, grabs and kisses her and is like... I've been wanting to do that ever since I first set eyes on you. I can imagine back then that was like Bridgerton before Bridgerton. You know? yeah. yeah. But then like, I think what's really cool about the movie is that like, there's already so much going on in the movie, but I, I think she's sort of the through line of what the movie's point is. You know, like she, she works out that the killing happened because of this class system that she is now at the bottom of. And after all these like little indignities she suffers or witnesses happening to other servants over the weekend, I think she makes her first act of choice you know there's there's a sense of agency in her deciding not to go to the police because she's like i get why this stupid system would drive someone to kill and i think that it's the final line of the movie but lady trentham is says you know like imagine testifying in court and having a man hung based on what you said like she's worried she's going to be called to testify and she's being her usual sort of self-centered self like thinking about like how does this affect me and mcdonald's mary is like i know and what purpose could it possibly serve anyway and you understand she's talking about herself like not going to the police and i I think all that stuff is really great yeah agree to disagree Agree to disagree, as always. As yeah. always. Uh, no conflict on this podcast. <laughs> Never. Will we... Do you want to go to No Country for a Minute? Absolutely. You don't have to do this. People always say the same thing. What do they say? They say, you don't have to do this. You don't. Okay. This is the best I can do. God. I know you was crazy when I saw you sitting there. I know exactly what was in store for me. Call it. No. I ain't gonna call it. Call it. The coin don't have no say. It's just you. So Kelly MacDonald plays Carla Jean Moss, the wife of Llewellyn Moss, who's played by Josh Brolin, who by association becomes involved in Llewellyn's theft of $2 million from a bunch of dead drug dealers and is kind of sort of involved with his flight from the ruthless hitman Anton Chigurh. 
It's played by a terrifying Javier Bardem. And uh, she goes to the well-meaning Sheriff Ed Tom Bell, played by Tommy Lee Jones, uh, for, to try and get Llewellyn out of this horrible situation he's found himself in. So I think a lot of the characters in this movie, particularly the likes of Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, and Kelly MacDonald, <laughs> um, are victims of like the Coen Brothers' kind of most nihilistic tendencies. Because a lot of people say like um, the Coen Brothers that they hate all their characters, which isn't true. I think they're just kind of like they just put these people into extraordinary situations, but then real life, you know, kind of comes in again, and it's like, oh no, this is how this would happen, and this man would get shot in the throat, regardless of uh, the however stylized we've made this. And I think she's maybe one of the one of the most purely good character in any of the Coen's films, if not the most purely good character, because she's just so nice and doesn't deserve any of the shit she's landed in and i think as i've said before we all love a good theme but um <laughs> i think few have the staying power of the way destiny and, and self-determination are handled in no country for old men and as the film goes on and i'm gonna have to spoil it but um you know carla jean and anton Chigurh are as well as the sheriff tommy jones's sheriff are the three last surviving characters and Tommy Lee Jones doesn't have a whole lot to do in the last couple of scenes. Uh, it's mostly just on um, Javier Bardem's Anton Chigurh and Kelly MacDonald's Carla Jean Moss. So Anton Chigurh, having left a blood trail a mile long, it goes to his last stop, which is um, Carla Jean Moss's house to uh, silence her, even though like she knows nothing and doesn't deserve what's what's about to happen to her and he knows this as well, but uh, he lets he as always he lets the coin toss decide. And she kind of becomes the unwilling conscience to just this man who is totally uninterested in whether she wants to choose or not, because, you know, he knows what he wants to do. He's just going to let the coin decide um whether uh, this person lives or dies and her decision not to call it on heads or tails is isn't it's not done to annoy him i don't think like it's not like she wants to die um i think it's just kind of a protest against like the the cruel kind of bleak world she's kind of found herself dropped in i think it's ultimately an, an aesthetic and uh, storytelling choice not to show uh Chigar blowing blowing her head off um i think it'd be too unfair to the audience at that point to see her die to see the only nice character in the movie die so brutally but there's still no real question that she did die in that tiny room opposite a man capable of so much evil as we've seen from like the first scene close to the end of the film anyway. There's a quote from there's a quote I have here that's um that they say about the violence in the film. There they say your man says, uh, at one point the Cohen's garner chills simply by having a character check the soles of his boots as he steps from a doorway into the sunlight. And I think by that by that time po- blood is pooled often enough in no country for old men that they don't have to show you what he's checking for. <laughs> and I think like it's illustrates my last point about uh, showing Carla Jean die uh, very well, I think. So there's the first um, you know, coin toss scene, which is Javier Bardem opposite an actor. I think his name is Gene Jones in a gas station. And, you know, has the, you know, call it friendo, that kind of thing. And um, I think it's it's a testament to just letting two actors work through great material that is basically unchanged from the source novel. If you haven't read No Country for Women by Cormac McCarthy, do it. Great book. Um, and it's, it's a real pleasure to watch no matter how tense it leaves you with. Whereas the scene at the end with Carla Jean and... Anton Chigurh with the coin toss it just leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth not because it's a bad scene but just because it's like really um, kind of wraps up the film's nasty nihilistic themes and it's kind of brave in its own way and obviously we're shown 
her decision is brave i mean and we're kind of shown that bravery and kindness in this world are punished a lot more than evil is because anton Chigurh ends the film with a broken arm and everyone else is dead except for uh, tommy lee jones so i think um it's a, it's a grim movie yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with very little of the Coen's trademark humor, but uh, it's I think it's still one of their best. Yeah, it, it seems like after the success of um, No Country for a Man, which is you know an incredible movie, um, she stuck around in Hollywood working for a few years, making movies that seemed on paper like good choices and were modestly received by critics, but weren't big financial successes. Like yeah. I think in Choke, which was based on a book uh, by the man who wrote Fight Club, um, also The Merry Gentleman and Indie Electric Mist, which we'll, we'll, two movies we'll talk about next. Two kind of vibey crime dramas I like. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Dublin Podcast is basically Suzanne Kane and PJ Gallagher. It is a podcast that is designed very much look at the negative side of things and tell you that it is okay to get up in the morning and live your day. Suzanne Kane, slightly crazy conservative lady and ultra liberal lunatic headcase me, PJ Gallagher, doing our best to put a smile on your face. It's a midlife, it is literally a midlife crisis podcast. Start from next week, we'll have 10 15 minutes of extra bonus material that will be on the podcast every single week, which will be very focused instead of this usual sort of demented ranting. Excuse me. And you can sign up together on headstuffpodcast.com where you'll find loads of other brilliant podcasts with, with all brilliant bonus topics material, and apparently. loads of great bonus material that isn't us, but stick with us too. Thank you. I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events, and lots more. We here at I Know That Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. She's just in the Merry Gentleman. Uh, she, she has a rare leading role because she, she plays a woman who moves town to get away from her abusive cop husband, played by Bobby Cannavale, who is just one absolutely hypnotic scene in the movie, which I, yeah. I think is worth watching the film for. But by chance, over this Christmas season, she becomes friends, or maybe more, with a mysterious, lonely, suicidal hitman, played by the movie's director, Michael Keaton. Yeah, what do you think of this, Andrew? You negative Nelly. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Um, I think this movie's very awkward, a very awkward feeling and sounding film in a very painful way. It just really I agree, but I think that's why it's good. I think that's why it's dreadful. Even when it's not awkward, it's not especially funny, and it seems to be caught between being a serious character study and a cringe comedy, and those two modes would never mesh well, I don't think. And I think it's just just a story about two lonely souls bonding over Christmas, but not in the traditional sense, which somehow makes it more boring. And (laughs) I think Keaton is a really poor scene partner, which leaves McDonald to do a lot of heavy lifting. Maybe it's just because watching a Christmas movie in May was a bad idea, but I feel like this would be even worse if you watched it at Christmas. 
and uh, that's uh, that's all my negative thoughts on the movie anyway so I'll let you uh, run wild with positivity no I, I'm not being too positive about it I've seen it twice it is a very odd movie I, it feels like Keaton who at the time was you know, mostly known for Beetlejuice and Batman these live wire performances you know Jackie Brown before his sort of recent renaissance him wanting to show off his more dramatic chops and like what I would characterize Keaton as being a very kind of energetic performer, like this movie is not that. Like it's very sparse and subdued. The specifics of Keaton's character's you know hitman career are very much in the background. There's not a lot of action. It's it's more about the loneliness of trying to keep a low profile and not get close to anybody, and how he does find this kindred spirit in McDonald's character and someone who he might be able to find a connection with, but it's just not sustainable. Like she eventually learns the truth of who he is and. The lack of kind of those genre elements could be boring, and I, I definitely don't think it's for everybody, as it's it's more of a character study drama than a crime thriller. But there's something about this movie that, as you said, that feels like awkward, but I, I think it's kind of like melancholic and sad in a way that I, I think is affecting. I, I think you watching all these broken people be so unhappy at Christmas, you know, the snowy kind of drippy setting, like all the religious iconography, Keaton downplaying. But I also believe a lot of that, like the kind of feeling of the movie is just on like Donald, who I think, like in Gosford Park, is playing another character who doesn't talk a lot. He's trying to keep a low profile. Every time somebody asks about the bruised eye from her husband, she comes with a different excuse and is like tries to play it off. And you totally get a sense of her being like clo- having closed herself off from this world. But she also tells us everything we need to know about her character, Kate, in these moments that she's scared, that she's vulnerable, that she's still shaken from this abusive relationship and. But I also think what's kind of cool about her character is that, like, no matter how hard she tries to turn people away, like, they are just drawn to her, for better or worse. Mm. She just can't help project this kind of warmth and kindness. <laughs> and um, it's for better or worse. You know, like, it, sometimes, like, the people being drawn to her help her, like her new nice new work colleague, it kind of sometimes helpful sometimes bad there's that really interesting cop character who's investigating the killing that michael keaton carried out like i really love that performance there's her ex you know played by bobby cannavale there's all the guys at her new job and that really depressing christmas party scene where they're all hitting on her and michael keaton and i just think like mcdonald's is as charismatic as she is in train spotting but is also excellent at conveying things without words without a lot of big expressions kind of holding back like in gosford park and i think being a mentally scarred woman meeting a lonely hitman could be so hacky but i i think it does feel genuine here and i I believe in all the characters and i believe in what they see in each other and i I believe in the world yeah no i agree that um i think her performance is great i think the script really lets her down though um and in terms of dialogue because there's a bit where they they carry i don't know if it's supposed to be funny or what but they bring the tree the christmas tree that michael keaton helped her bring into her apartment this that's when they first they first actually meet after she stops him from she inadvertently stops him from committing suicide and they bring that tree out to the middle of a field and burn it and i don't know if stuff was cut or something uh, or a conversation was supposed to happen there but she just turns to him and goes you're maybe the kindest man i've ever met and nothing else really happens there it's just it just feels like i think that goes to show just how like little she was cared about by her ex-husband but just the yeah, simple I, act I of like would you dump this christmas tree for me yeah, yeah <laughs> i guess like... i think it just needed i think there's just not enough built around the, the movie the dialogue just doesn't feel all there it feels like a, a second draft in need of a rework or something yeah it does feel thin and it is definitely going for a vibe that i just think is a little alienating 
Yeah. Not without interest, though. And um, mm-hmm. I think in, in the Electrobist is a sort of a similar thing for me where I, I, I'm kind of mixed on it, but I, I do kind of like what it's going for. Because, yeah, in this movie, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, uh, reuniting with Kay McDonald after uh, yeah. No Country for Old Men, he stars as Louisiana police detective Dave Robichaux operating in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, who's investigating two separate killings, one a historical murder of a black man he may have witnessed happening as a boy, and a more recent murder of a young woman. And at the same time as this is happening, a Hollywood crew has come to the area to make a Civil War drama, which stars two famous actors who are played by Peter Sarsgaard and Kelly MacDonald. And yeah, what do you think of this? I liked it. I feel like it's, it kind of felt like a, a very long episode of like a crime show that ran for three seasons on NBC in the early 2010s or something like that. Just like back when, not prestige TV, but like something you'd turn on at 10 o'clock at night and go, oh, great, murders in Iberia Parish is on. Let's watch, let's watch that. <laughs> There's nothing better on on uh, Wednesday night. It feels like that. And I do think it's good. Like I've read one of the first of the... Dave Robichaux books and I thought that was quite good I think the books themselves kind of feel like uh, they're full of evocative imagery and dialogue and like they have great titles like The Neon Rain which is the first one and In the Electric Mist with the Confederate Dead which is the one we're talking about now those are are some incredible titles like I said they're full of evocative imagery and dialogue that I think on its own is quite beautiful but it can sometimes feel a little pretentious and like it's trying to imitate Cormac McCarthy or something like that and it never I don't think it ever lands as well as uh, his stuff usually does like it's always good to see like Tommy Lee Jones and John Goodman doing their southern good old boy shtick and it's bizarre that we, we had to wait so long to see them them do it opposite each other. Let's wait yeah. until 2009 to see them in a movie and then, together. I and think. then Tommy Lee Jones smashes John Goodman's face in and it's really violent. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It is odd though because this film isn't... That that part is violent but a lot of this film isn't and I feel like it could have been gnarlier. Yeah. To be yeah. honest, I'm, I'm, I thought that all the actual murder mystery stuff, apart from one or two seasons, felt very perfunctory but I, I think everything on, on the edge of the murder mystery... <laughs> is really fascinating and really yeah, good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I do think that Kelly McDonald's role is utterly thankless in that she shows up, essentially pouts for a little while and then is then shot in the chest and killed. Oh, I disagree. I have a whole take on that. I I'll let you I'll let you run with that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to see her play an A-list actress, like someone this, you know, grizzled Louisiana cop knows right away, which isn't really McDonald's vibe, because I, I think of her more as a character actor, a sort of mm. actor's actor, you know, like yeah. an actor's starling. And I, I think I, that, I think McDonald's doing kind of a parody of a Hollywood star in that, you know, at first the character seems very, like, full of herself and vapid. Like, there's that great scene where Tommy Lee Jones' character pulls her and Sarsgaard over and because Sarsgaard is caught speeding drunk and stoned mm. on weed and is like amazing sports car and while he's being arrested McDonald's is caught swallowing the roach of the joint <laughs> and Jones is explaining that Sarsgaard is under arrest and Kay McDonald says sort of condescendingly as if she doesn't really take this you know small town cop seriously you know, yeah can he make like a contribution to mothers against drunk driving or something yeah. like that and Jones is like, as an admirer of your work, Mrs. Roman, I recommend you don't make any more mention of contributions. <laughs> and she, you know, Jones sees right away what she's doing. And McDonald's reaction is so perfect where she's laughing because she, she can't believe she's been spoken to like that. But is also kind of irritated, like, come on, really? I think it's really yeah. perfect. But then she's smart enough to realize that people like A-list celebrities for a reason, you know, and, and no matter if they're annoying or act superior or kind of completely disconnected from like everyday world. And like, we still pay to see their stuff. 
because they have that special something and even though we don't see a lot of McDonald's character in the movie in the brief bits we do like when Sarsgaard shows up drunk at Jones's character's uh, house and is acting an idiot and Jones lets it slide and she says to Jones like you're a really good man before, yeah. And then I think she also says, like, Elrod's a shitbird, but I love him. Or when she's getting the life jacket for Elrod um, after his boat capsizes, after he stupidly takes it out in the middle of a storm. And he's, she's like, he drowned in the bathroom sink. Um, she just ran I think she has this, like, megawatt charm. And I, 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 I totally get how, even though her character is not particularly nice or smart, <laughs> why people would like her. And, like, you know, as you said, like, spoilers, like, it does, I think it hit, it hit me kind of emotionally when Jones gives her his jacket and she shot and killed because the gunman thought she was Jones. Yeah. And I, I think it's sad because, like, oh, McDonald's out of the movie. Kind of, I'm doing a pot. They kind of needed more material. But I also think it's because, yeah. like, Jones did this nice thing that somebody doomed her. But you're also like, oh, it's so pointless. What a waste of this actress. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this actress's yeah. life. This fictional, yeah. you know, actress. It's a weird movie because it's it's made by this uh, great French director, Bertrand Tavernier, who actually died just this year. Um, I've seen one or two of his French movies. They're really good. But he didn't make a lot of movies in English. And I, I think what happens when archivist directors make American genre films is that they become a lot more interested in the milieu of America rather than the plot. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes in the case of something like Drive, like, that's incredible. And yeah. I think here you can tell Tavernier wants to explore a lot of things like, you know, Louisiana after Katrina. There's that really good scene where John Goodman's henchman should be in jail. Like Tommy Jones is like, shouldn't you be in the pen? And he's like, no, they just, the, the Katrina destroyed the evidence room. I got off. And he's like, <laughs> Katrina, wash my hands clean. <laughs> but then like, he's also interested in like America's like history of like violence and racism, you know, like the civil war, the mistreatment of black people and how they kind of coexist with the America of Hollywood. And there's that other, there's a lot of good scenes in this movie. Like, with um, the director John Sayles is playing a director and he's saying like we need some more blood this is not the nightly news they never show the blood this is an allegory we're not shooting the fall of Vicksburg this is Baghdad 2007 if people don't connect the dots fuck them <laughs> and uh, yeah I think all that stuff is really fascinating and yeah the, the movie has this kind of real true detective vibe because you know it's set in the same place but like, aside from one or two scenes like when Tony Jones is spiked with LSD and crashes his car or when he's shot at and he shoots back and seems to kill a woman but then the woman didn't have a gun and you're not like you're like is he losing his mind or is yeah, he someone yeah. trying to frame him um, I find the mystery yeah just a little bit kind of weirdly kind of paced and confusing and um yeah i was just wondering if stuff was you know cut out of it yeah i think uh, it's a good role because i think robo show is as he is in the book is that he's he's kind of one of those cops that's like well aware of how morally gray police work is or just how morally black sometimes um and he kind of commits to it because you know if he believes that um it's easier to do that than to see the world kind of descend into an even worse kind of darkness than it than it's already in um, we I want to talk a little bit about like do like a TV corner before we wrap up just in terms because yeah. um, I think Kay McDonald's one of these actresses who found a bit of a second wind in TV because <laughs> early on in her career she was in State of Play which was a great show and was later made into a pretty solid Hollywood movie starring uh, Russell Crowe I believe but then in the Golden Age of TV she was in all five seasons of Boardwalk Empire playing Margaret Thompson an Irish immigrant living in uh, 1920s Atlantic City in New Jersey, who um, approaches politician and gangster uh, Nookie Thompson, Pepe Buscemi for help, and winds up becoming his mistress and eventual wife. And she was really amazing in the show because she began in the first season as being quite timid and not a million miles away from her character in The Merry Gentleman before, kind of over the course of the show, finding new layers of inner strength and courage and managing to be the only one of the only people who could stand up to Nookie and kind of get her mm-hmm. way with him and like get under his skin. And you know, 
there's nearly 20 years of an age difference between Buscemi and McDonald, but they had they had real chemistry in the show. Like, you really believe their relationship. Recently, you know, she was in the sixth season of Line of Duty and got a lot of plaudits and, like, full disclosure, I'm still making my way through Line of Duty. I just finished the second season. But that show, as well as being, like, a very gripping and disturbing show about, like, the evils and corruption in the police, it's just a great showcase for character actors because it's known for these, like, long interrogation scenes where it's all about the performances and the power dynamics between the actors. Yeah. And, you know, characters kind of walk in, like, super confident and then you see them get rattled and lose their composure. And, you know, there's always a great thrill in, like, the way people change over the course of these like extended scenes but but i just i want really wanted to flag this uh very underrated and underseen show which also sees mcdonald playing a cop on netflix called uh giri haji which means duty shame in japanese i'm looking for my brother they told me he has done something terrible i'm here to take him home i think you know the man in the mugshot is kenzo in trouble not my place to say a lot of drama though We're not bad people. We just did bad things. Every decision we make can affect everyone around us. It's set half in Tokyo, half in London, and it centers on a detective from Tokyo played by Takahiro Hira, who is a Takeshi Mike regular. I think he's been in like three or four of his movies. Who scares nice. London for his missing brother who's been involved with the Yakuza and accused of murder. And the brother is played by Yosuke Kubosuka, who is in some Sion Sono movies and was in Scorsese's Silence. He's a really good actor, so there's a lot of like, kind of cool art house pedigree involved. And yeah. the detective goes to London on the basis of... Um, his kind of cover is doing this international cop exchange program which mcdonald's policewoman has been stuck running because she ousted her fellow cop ex-boyfriend for planting evidence on a suspect so no one likes her on the force and she's just this great character who's like really charming and funny and has this like strong moral compass but is also really tough you know because she's a cop yeah she has like kind of grit and um, she and the detective from tokyo are both these like emotionally wounded people him from his sort of like this kind of family tragedy like that his brother kind of slipped away from him they just have this really good really strong again unspoken emotional bond and as you said like hey madonna has such a great like expressive face and that's over 10 episodes of the show that you really get to like explore that it's really good uh but it's also just a great show because it's like your typically well-produced binge-worthy bbc crime drama but with all this like japanese like culture and influence in it and all the actors are incredible. It has tons of style and is occasionally like brilliantly weird. Uh, the plot's really twisty. Each episode ends with a cliffhanger. It's really funny at times. Like I can't recommend it enough. And while it was cancelled, it did get a couple of BAFTA nominations. And its showrunner, Joe Barton, has been hired to be the showrunner on that uh, TV spinoff of Matt Reeves' The Batman for HBO. So oh, the wow. people who saw it really loved it. So, uh, you know, I'd recommend more viewers to check it out. It's on Netflix now. Cool. Yeah. yeah. i actually. I've actually been thinking to check it out myself. No, my. I think my mom watched it and was singing its praises. Even though it's uh, half full of English people, maybe the Japanese people will all cancel it out. Yeah, I think so. I, I understand you have an aversion to like TV, but um, I think if anything was to kind of get you at least to watch like three or four episodes or something, I think Kiri Haji <laughs> would be that. You've sold me. Yeah. <laughs> it's always great, but difficult when we cover a character actor of McDonald's caliber who mm. pretty much consistently does great work because it can be a bit hard to narrow down to five movies to talk about it. Um, yeah. I only say this because I feel a bit bad we didn't cover Intermission, which I think is a really good movie. But I think it's sort of a bit of a lads movie. Like, what I remember from it is Killian Murphy putting brown sauce in his tea and Jesus. everyone being disgusted. And he's like, no, no, it's yeah. really good. And then Colin Farrell tries it. And he's like, that's fucking lovely. Um, <laughs> 
And there's this incredible opening scene with Colin Farrell, who's doing this like just like megawatt charismatic, like he's flirting with this girl in like Dublin. Within like two minutes, you realize it's a ruse, and he just punches her in the face and like robs money from the cash register. Um, yeah, just rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Email us at I know the facepod at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know, thanks to Shane Fernandez for editing and for running our socials. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. Check me out the Headstuff Film section. Check me out at joe.ie. Um, see you later, Files, and choose life. Bye bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.